Okay, take your Bibles tonight, and we're going to go way, way back to wherever it was when we started this psalm. We've uh, taken our time in it, and we also had some time off in there. So it's 107 that we're going to look at, and so we'll do just a little bit of review so we can kind of catch up. You remember when we first started this, we read it and said that this is apparently a psalm that was written after the Babylonian captivity, and we kind of went through uh, the history of all of that, and then um, we came back in and talked about the last time we met, we talked about, uh, as we get down to verse 10, how this psalmist, the writer here, was able to look back into the most horrific, the darkest, most brutal time of Jewish history, and yet he looks back and he sees benefit in it. And so that's why we called this Hindsight is twenty twenty, Because one thing is true. And one thing that we have in common with all of our ancestors. And with all of those who will come along after us. Until the Lord returns. And one thing that is true of all of us here tonight. Everybody has a past. Now your past may be a pretty good past. Your past may stink. And uh, we all have those bad times, and we uh, all have those things we're ashamed of. We all have those things that we wanted to get out of. And we talked about how it's easy to kind of look back and miss the point of whatever it is that we live through. The point of life is not just to get through it. The point of life is to glorify the Lord and also to fulfill His will. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4... It says, just in case you wanted to know what the will of God is, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And so while we live here on earth, we're to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And sin loses its dominion and its power over us. And then we also, of course, are living here so that we can fulfill the Great Commission. We won't be able to do that in heaven. We have the opportunity to fellowship with believers here, and that's wonderful, but we can do that so much better in heaven. So that can't be the main purpose for which we are here. We uh, say, well, we want to learn more of the Scripture. Hey, just wait until you die and you go to heaven. You're going to know everything about it. Uh, there's something unique to being on this earth that we won't be able to do in heaven, and that is to tell other people about Jesus. To testify of his goodness and his grace in a way that leads them to trust Christ as their Savior and Lord. Never going to lead a lost person to Christ. Never going to plant a seed, water a seed, or reap the harvest when you get to heaven. That's for now. And part of that great commission is the idea of making disciples. For Jesus said that not only are we to preach the gospel to every creature, but we are to teach them to observe all things that he has commanded us. Well, you and I are in the process of learning those all things. I don't know about you. I don't do so well at doing the all things that the Lord has taught us to do. But I'm learning. And I'm growing. And so are you. And that's a good thing. But also, we're to be involved in teaching others. Teaching our children. Uh, husbands and wives. Helping and edifying one another in the church as we Provoke one another, Hebrews 10, 24 says, 
to love and to good deeds. We're learning and we are helping other people and we are influencing other people. That's why our testimony and that's why our faithfulness is so important. And so the Lord has us down here on earth and he is teaching us, sanctifying us, growing us. And he does that not only by uh, the blessings that he puts in our life that we would identify as blessings anyway. Uh, you know, we don't, all, we don't grow and learn by sunshine and lollipops, do we? Those are nice. And it's good when God just makes life really sweet and a, a blessing and we love that. But we also learn an awful lot when we stumble and when we fall. We learn a lot when we walk through the darkness. And when we walk through the darkness, it feels like the Lord is not there. But it's not that uh, He's not there. We just don't sense His presence. It's kind of like going through a, a tunnel. When we would go to my dad's over in um, Arkansas... There was one particular mountain that they decided to, instead of going over it, they tunneled through it. And when you would go into the tunnel, everything got dark. Well, what happened? Did the sun go away? Did the sun quit shining? And you know the answer. Of course it didn't. But the tunnel blocked the rays of the sun's light. And a lot of times we go through things in uh, everyday life and we hit some tunnels. And as we walk through those tunnels... The walk of faith is to say, praise God, I can't feel you, but I know you're there. And when we come out on the other side of that tunnel, sure enough, there the sun is shining just like it was when we went in. And sometimes when we're in those tunnels, we tend to despair, we want to quit, we get discouraged, but we got to keep on walking, keep on walking, keep on walking until we get through that tunnel. And then we have the privilege of looking back. Some of us have uh, some decades, some decades, think about that, where we can look back and we can see what God has done in those times of the tunnels. And we couldn't see any benefit. They scared us. They angered us. They frustrated us at the time. But now we can look back and we can see the benefit and the blessings of those things. That's one of the privileges that we have of growing older in the Lord. It enriches our life and it also gives us, as the psalmist would remind us, a better perspective about the past. So before we read what we uh, have been looking at in Psalm 107 verse 10, what would be the difference between this guy, uh, we don't know how long because we don't know when this psalm was written, but let's just say decades later, looking back on the captivity, what do you think his perspective would be? Well, we're going to see it. Now, let's contrast that, and let's make a sanctified guess here. What do you think the people that lived through the captivity and the exile, what do you think they thought and felt about that time? And I'm going to just make an educated guess that they probably hated it. They probably cried out to the Lord. They probably wondered where God was. Why would he allow this to happen? And even though they have been warned, as we have seen over and over and over, they're not any different than we are. We can take the same warnings. I mean, how many of you have uh, been alive and are old enough to remember that uh, cigarette smoking is bad? How, how old do you have to be to know that? Do you remember when in 1964 
the Surgeon General started putting the warning on those cigarette packs. Well, you don't have to be that old to know that cigarette smoking is bad. All you got to do is live and pay attention. And yet, how many people do I hear that they say, well, <coughs> it's not going <coughs> to hurt me. <coughs> My grandpa smoked six packs a day and he lived till he was 75. <coughs> you ever know anybody like that? I mean, my great aunt lived to be smoking, I don't know how much she smoked, a lot. And uh, she died at the tender age of 96. So I guess then that I ought to be a smoker, right? Papa Sam used to say, uh, smoking won't send you to hell. It just makes you smell like you've been there, right? And uh, you think about all of that and think about everything we know. And yet, how many people do you see that are still lighting them up? And they say something like this, well, I know I shouldn't do this. And one of these days, I need to quit. What, what, what are they doing? They're taking lightly the warnings that have been given. Well, that's no different than the children of Israel did. In their case, it wasn't about tobacco, of course. It was about their idolatry. And God would send prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. As we uh, looked at a couple of weeks ago, that he gave them warnings before it ever happened, even going all the way back to Moses in Deuteronomy. Then he gave them warnings while... Nebuchadnezzar was kind of an up-and-coming kingdom, and uh, they still didn't listen. And then we looked and, and we saw what the false prophets were saying. Nothing bad's going to happen. Everything's going to be good. Kind of like we hear a lot of preaching about that now, and we ignore the warnings in the Word of God. Well, they couldn't see it at the time. It didn't seem like a big deal. And just like the person who may go all of their life smoking, and at the end, when they have... Uh, emphysema or COPD scares me worse than cancer does, frankly. Uh, if you've ever seen anybody with that or experience that or watch them die, it's horrible. And uh, by the time you get to the place to where you go, okay, I'm ready to heed the warning now, the damage has probably already been done. And we need to learn to listen to God's warning while there's time and before the damage has been done because... God is not mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? And we try to live in a way where that doesn't happen. And sometimes we wonder why God does some of the things that he does, why he allows some of the things to happen that he allows. Why do we go through the tunnels? Why do we go through the hard times? Why is it that we are able to look back? And I think this psalm gives us uh, a good insight into it. Look at verse 10 of Psalm 107. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, makes me think of Psalm 23, doesn't it? Verse 11, bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor and they fell down and there was none to help then boy it's so much like us then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses so times may change technology may change situations may change 
But people just don't change. We're the same way. We're the same way. Well, I didn't think it would happen to me. How many times have we said that? How many times have we heard that? I never thought it would be me in this situation. Well, a better question would be, instead of going, why me? Maybe to ask the question, well, why not me? Why not me? Am I not deserving of the wrath and the punishment of God far more than I've ever received? And then when you look around at other people's life, the, the thing your mama always used to tell you is if you'll stop and look long enough, you'll find somebody who's in worse shape than you are. Anybody in this room, can you say amen that that's a true statement? I doubt any of us have ever fallen to the point to where we are absolutely the worst. In fact, that's why in the New Testament, it tells us your suffering is common to your brotherhood throughout the world. Uh, everybody goes through this. You're not exempt from life. And just be thankful that it, you, you don't live in a country where you're having to run for your life because you're a Christian. Just be thankful that we're not having to meet in a, a dark, cold cave somewhere, scared to death that soldiers are going to come in. We still, uh, with all of our problems, we still have a lot of freedom and a lot of prosperity. And when I think about other people around the world that are impoverished, and yet they're serving God with a smile and with joy in their hearts, when I think about people in the persecuted countries, China, North Korea, Vietnam, Cuba, Iran, uh, Afghanistan, those type of places, and they're serving God and they're making an impact for Christ. I think about all of that and it's a little embarrassing how good we have it, isn't it? It's also more embarrassing how little it takes to get us out of sorts, to get us to where we have an ill temper, to get us to where we are discontent and dissatisfied. And when you think about the early church, they didn't have buildings. They didn't have a, uh, anything official at all. And the Jews were after them, trying to stamp them out because they thought they were a threat to Judaism. And then later the Romans came after them because they would not bow to Caesar. And you think about those people and how they had to live. And then you think, how in the world did they do so much with so little? Well, here's a better question. How is it that we are doing so little with so much? We've got money. We've got time. We've got freedom. We've got opportunities. We can go anywhere and do just about anything we want to do. Why are we not talking about the goodness of God and about His grace? We, we for sure ought to be doing that. And whenever you whine, there can always be somebody that's in worse shape than you. After I uh, had my surgery, I uh, had to go walk. And Sammy was saying, we need to go walk. We need to go walk. And Taylor was with us. And I finally agreed. I didn't really want to, but I kind of agreed to do it. I mean, you want me to walk? I can't even get out of a chair by myself. And um, I would try. And I just couldn't do it. I'd get up about maybe six inches and then I'd, I would just fall back. And just, just couldn't do it. And these people want me to walk. And we go outside and the wind is blowing. And, you know, we had to walk. And we walked down to a neighbor's mailbox. 
And then uh, that's all I can do. And turned around and came back in. Well, I think it was the next day or something like that. I said, I think I want to walk again. And uh, this time is my idea. It's always easier when it's your idea, right? And uh, it did feel good to get up. And it did feel good to be outside in the sunshine and breathe some fresh air. But not much. and Not for long because it hurt. And so we walked. And this time I walked a little bit further. And then was able to turn around and uh, come back. And I was kind of during that time having my moments where I would have a pity party. Never thought I would have heart surgery. Nobody in my family has had heart surgery. What's up with this? Why is this happening to me? And is this ever going to get better? And you know, it's humbling when you can't do anything for yourself. You can't even get out of a chair by yourself. And you have to have somebody else help you. And I was concerned about Sammy. She has a bad back. And I didn't want her pulling me out of a chair to mess her up or anything like that. I mean, it's just, it, it gets pitiful. And then the Lord would bring to mind Vernon Cooper, my high school friend who has ALS. And it was about that time I said, Lord, forgive me because I'm going to get better. He's not. Right now, we're almost in the same shape. He can't do anything for his, himself and I can't do anything for myself except the difference is he's going down and I'm going up. Every day I could see a little bit of improvement. And after I got home from the hospital, I would try to get up by myself every single day. Monday I couldn't do it. Tuesday I couldn't do it. Wednesday I couldn't do it. And it's kind of discouraging. What's wrong? I bet other people are popping right up. What's wrong with me? And I don't know what happened and what was different, but Thursday morning I popped right up by myself. And uh, now before church tonight I went home just a little bit early because I'm supposed to walk every day and I went home and I walked a mile and a half before coming here and I'm standing here right now and I'm feeling pretty good and I'm you know expending energy talking and that kind of thing why because I was on an upward trajectory and my friend was on a downward trajectory and I use that as an illustration for life there's somebody that you're going to see tomorrow. And you're going to run into them and you're going to go, Good night, what is their problem? Why can't they make better decisions? And why can't they be a, a better person? What is wrong with them? It may be a person that you see at a gas pump. It may be a cashier. It may be a waitress. It may be somebody that you work with. It may be somebody even that you live with. And if you look long enough... You're going to kind of say, well, you know, we all have bad days and it's just what you choose to do with it. I wish it were that easy because sometimes I don't choose to do what I should with the bad times and neither do you and neither do they. Give them a break because what you don't know is that stranger who checked you out at the checkout line and they were so rude and when you want to say, we all have bad days, choose a, an attitude of gratitude or some cliche like that. Think about this. On your worst day, you're on your way up because you're a child of God. If they're not a child of God, they're on a downward trajectory and it's only going to get worse. You see what I'm talking about? And so when we say that 
Hindsight is 2020. We're saying it for the child of God. And when we think about all of these different warnings and everything that Israel did, they couldn't see it because they were on the way down. But the psalmist now is pulling out. He's on the way up. He's got a different trajectory and a different perspective on everything. And so we said that um, when we think about the past and we take it out of these particular scriptures, these verses that we've been been reading, and I've got to catch up to uh, where I want to be tonight because we're reviewing. And um, I had a lot of notes. Good night. No wonder it took so long. Think about the fact that whenever we can look back like we can, hindsight puts the past in perspective, we said. And uh, that's where uh, this particular person said, you know, the people are sitting in darkness and they've got the irons on them and affliction and all of that kind of thing. Uh, that's the kind of thing to where God didn't want them to romanticize that time and just simply say, well, those were the good old days. No, they weren't, and nobody disputed that. Those were the bad times, the dark times. And uh, those were things that they couldn't get through and couldn't get out of on their own. Seventy years of uh, captivity. That is a, a lifetime, actually. Secondly, we said, hindsight can explain difficult times. We want to go, why, why is this happening to me? Well, in this case... They knew why it was because they rebelled against the words of the Lord. They despised or overlooked or took lightly the counsel of the Holy One. Kind of like the person who says, I know it's bad and wrong to smoke and I don't want my kids doing it. But they keep on and they keep on because they kind of say, Ah, that warning is not for me. That's not going to happen to me. And yet uh, we find out later on that it does and it puts them in uh, bad shape. And so, the people of God, again, they just don't change. And that brings us up to uh, where we are on point number three tonight. So, if you'll go ahead and bring that up on the, on the slide, we'll pick up here and we'll go on. Number three, hindsight shows the benefits of divine discipline. Okay, the benefits of divine discipline. Is God just arbitrarily wanting to vent? Does God just look down and say, I have had it with you and that's the last thing I'm going to say and I'm going to clobber you and I'm going to feel good about it. Does he do that? God has a purpose, a loving purpose for everything that he does. And all you have to do is read in Hebrews chapter 12 and the Bible says that his discipline is a sign of his love. <laughs> Doesn't sound very loving to me. Doesn't feel very loving to me. And it's about that time that the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder and says, Grow up. And I know exactly what he means. Because when I was a little kid and my parents would tell me I couldn't do something, I didn't understand it. And it didn't seem like they loved me. And that old thing of this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, I still don't believe that, actually. But I understand it better now, partially because I've been a parent and partially because I'm a little bit older. And I look back and I see what they were trying to teach me. I look back and I see what their point was, what the goal was in all of that. They may not have always hit the bullseye, but they rarely miss the target. 
And I look back on that now and I'm appreciative for the fact that I had a mama and a daddy that weren't afraid to spank me. They weren't afraid to ground me. They weren't afraid to take things away from me. They weren't afraid to do that. They never really kind of had the idea that their goal in life was to make me their friend. I think probably if I could talk to them right now, they would say, well, we had friends. We didn't need you to be our friend. Our goal was to make you a responsible adult, a good daddy, a good husband, those kind of things. And so I can look back now and I can see what they were trying to do. Now, did they do it perfectly? No, because they weren't God. And they didn't, like I said, they didn't always hit the bullseye, but they didn't miss the target either. And I look back on all of that and I say, you know, I can even learn from them. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, I was a little bit better as a parent than they were. And hopefully, my children... Taylor and Jenny and Chelsea will be a little better than I was. That's kind of the goal, isn't it? We want to learn. We want to grow. And that's why the Lord disciplines us. Because we've got to learn and we've got to grow. And just as I didn't appreciate my parents' discipline when I was a teenager and younger, and now I do, the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder whenever I think, why is God doing this to me? And why is He picking on me? And why is this happening? Taps me on the shoulder and says, grow up, son. Grow up. Why? Because when I grow up, I'll be able to look back and say, now I know why God did this. Now I know why God put me through this. Now I know what he was saying to me. And it was my problem, not his. He wasn't stuttering. He wasn't trying to say anything. He said it. My problem was my ears were dull of hearing. I was so full of myself. I was such a, a baby and... You know, all of that. I wanted to do it my way on my timing. And, and he was getting in my way. And it's pretty sad when you think about your redeeming king. The one who loves you with an everlasting love. As the one who is getting in your way. That's pretty selfish. And that's pretty babyish, isn't it? Same thing when you find a little kid who's so mad at their mom and dad. Really? The mom and dad that brought you into this world, the mom and dad that feed you, the mom and dad that clothe you, the mom and dad that pay all the bills so that you're never too hot or never too cold. That mom and dad, is that what you're talking about? Well, they can't comprehend that and they can't understand that until they get a little bit older. Same thing for us spiritually. And so this psalmist is telling us that there were benefits to that horrible time when they were in captivity. Did you see that? When you get down to verse 12, therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down. Well, it's not sounding so good so far, is it? And there was none to help. But when you put it in a historical perspective, here's the thing God sometimes takes away our options so that we have to turn to him. I remember a song that said, Sometimes you have to be knocked down in order to look up. Well, if that's what it takes for you to look to the Lord, prepare to fall. The Lord will take his hand off and he will quit guarding you, I guess we would say, or comforting you or patting you because you've taken it for granted. He'll let you fall and when you fall, you look up and you cry out to him and he goes, I've been here all along and he's the one that will pick you up. He's the one that will rescue, rescue you as his sheep from the lion and from the bear and from the wolf. He's the one that will do that. But he's a good parent and he lets us learn 
consequences because that's really the only way that we have lasting change in our life. We've got to allow our children, for example, to face some consequences so they learn just as God lets us face the consequences. And how did God put Israel in those consequences? Well, Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He plunders the temple. He destroys the temple. The temple's nothing but rubble. An overwhelming mountain of rubble is the temple. He carries off the brightest and best into captivity, and it's for 70 long years. That's what we find in that phrase, and there was none to help. You can't change prophecy. You can't change the judgment of God. Only He can do that. And He said, if you don't straighten up, I will bring these other nations in and they will export you to their lands and you'll work for them for 70 years. And nothing was going to change that. How many things has God put into your life where because of your stubbornness and your rebellion toward Him, you find yourself with all of your options starting to shrink. Starting to shrink. What do you suppose is happening? Well, God just forgot to watch out for me. No, we know that's not true. Well, God's sovereignty was for your detriment. No, we know that's not true. Well, God's discipline was to mess up your life and to cause you to uh, uh, have all of your hopes and dreams taken away from you. No, that doesn't sound right either. I would submit to you that God begins to limit our options because as long as we have options, we have someplace else to look besides the one who wants to bless us with infinite blessings. And so the Lord begins to take away those things, those people, those situations that cause you to stray, that cause you to look elsewhere for your satisfaction, for your peace, and for your joy. And it's when the options are removed that you're able to look to God. You see what Israel was doing? They were no longer an independent nation. They no longer had any wealth of their own. They were no longer free to roam about the country. They were no longer free to even live where they wanted to live. Captives, enslaved, impoverished. The options are gone. Where else are you going to turn but to the Lord. Remember that old song, Where Could I Go But To The Lord? Unfortunately, that's generally what it takes for most of us. We have to have everything removed where we have no place else to turn but to the Lord. That's what Israel did. And so when you think about this, God was not passive. This was the active hand of God. And because of their sin, God subjected them, one writer says, to bitter labor... Their prison life was brutal, becoming chained slave gangs and subjected to harsh, unending labor. As their strength failed them, they stumbled, their bodies unable to bear them up. Is that what it's going to take for you to get serious with God? That's what it took with Israel. That's a horrible thing to think about. None to help, nowhere to turn, nowhere to look but to the Lord. And so God helps us, helps us 
by removing our options. He blesses us by taking away everything that we would look to except for Him. It doesn't feel like much of a blessing. It's because you're not old enough and far enough removed from it in the correction to actually see it and thank God for it. And so God weighed them down and that's what has to happen to where we have to get sick of ourselves and sick of our situation. And then God shows His fatherly love by disciplining us. Now I want you to think about some scriptures here. Proverbs 10, 17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. So it's one or the other. You are either a wise person who's blessed because you're heeding God's instruction or you're leading other people astray, maybe even your own children. Maybe there are some children that are rebellious as adults today and when they would trace it back, they would say, I'm just being like dad. I'm just being like mom. Not always. Not always. That's not always the case. So don't take any guilt. But understand what the scripture says. You're either walking in wisdom or you're leading other people astray to your own peril. Psalm 119.75 I know, O Lord... That your rules are righteous and that in, you ready for this? That in faithfulness you have afflicted me. What? You won't hear that from Benny Hinn. You won't hear that from Jesse Duplantis. You won't hear that from Ken Copeland. But neither will you hear it from a Joel Osteen or others who are liberal. Why? Their view of God, they make God in their image instead of accepting and believing the God who says, this is me, believe me, trust in me. The God who afflicts in faithfulness. Let that sink in. Afflicts in faithfulness. Psalm 94, 12-14. Blessed is the man whom you discipline. See? This is a blessing. Doesn't feel like a blessing, not to a little kid. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble. That's why God does it. He wants to give you a break. Do what's right, you get a break. Not only with God, but just in life, don't you? To give him rest from days of trouble... Until a pit is dug for the wicked, for the Lord will not forsake his people. Hallelujah, amen. Glory to God for that. He will not abandon his heritage. And that's who you are. So this God is active. The stuff that happens to you is not accidental. The stuff that happens to you and goes on in your life is ruled over by a sovereign God who has his hand on you, who is steering you and circumstances around you so that you might learn to trust him, so that you might have rest from the day of trouble, so that you might not rebel against him, so that you might not despise his counsel, so that you can walk with him and look back and go, wow, that was great. God loves me. God blessed me. God was working in my... He didn't turn his back on me. He didn't walk away from me. Some of our founding fathers were deists. You know what a deist is? They believe in the uh, existence of God. But it's kind of like 
uh, they see God as a person who goes over to a grandfather clock and they uh, open the door and they pull the chains and they wind the clock and they get the pendulum going and they close the door. The clock is ticking and it is running. They set it at the correct time and then they walk away and let the clock run. And that's how they see life. God is just the clock winder who lets everything run out, but he's off somewhere else. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible who is with you through thick and thin, with you when you are submissive and with you when you're rebellious. He's a God who is with you when you are loving Him. He's with you when you are rebelling against Him. He's with you when you're a mature believer. He's with you when you are a spoiled brat toddler believer who wants everything your own way. He is working in you and everything works together for good, Romans 8 said, because it's conforming you to the image of Christ and growing you up and giving you wisdom and enabling you to have something to share with somebody else. That's a great deal. And so he's taking you through all of that with an active hand, not just passively letting circumstances go through, actively putting you in the storm, actively putting you in the tunnel, actingly, actively putting you in the battle, actively doing all of those things because he is growing you and there is benefit to divine discipline. And then lastly, hindsight is 2020 because hindsight strengthens our faith. And I promise you, you have been through some things and you are a better person, a better Christian, and you're stronger and you're tougher and you're more able to win the battles than you were before you went through it. There's something in the military about a trained person that is wonderful. But even the training, talk to anybody who's been in combat, even the training, as good as it is, is no substitute for being in the heat of battle. Battle-hardened. People that are wise because they've been through the battles. And that's why those people who have been on the battlefield, who have felt the bullets whizzing by them who have partaken of the shrapnel, I guess. They make the best generals because they know what it's like to be in the trenches. And God is putting you in the trenches so that you can become not battle-hardened, but battle-trained so that you can be a blessing not only to the Lord, but a blessing to all of us. Because while we all go through trials, we go through different trials. We all go through battles, but many times they're different battles. And then there are those times when they kind of intersect. And you go through something that I never dreamed I would go through. And all of a sudden, I need to hear from you because you've got the scars of battle. And I want to know how you made it through and what you did. And you can bless my life. And then there are times when I go through some things. And you look at it and you go, boy, I would never want to go through that. Well, I didn't either. I didn't either. But I made it. Maybe I can help somebody else along the way with the things that I've learned. I think every generation has this idea. I want my kids to have it better than I did. I don't want them to go through some of the same things that I did. I wish we had that mentality about God's family too. There are some things that people are getting ready to go through in the church 
that you've been through, that I've been through. Oh, I wish they didn't have to do that. And if they were wise, they wouldn't. But you know what? They don't like listening to the older generation any more than you did. We think we've got it on our own. We don't listen to the Lord, and we have to go through it. You know, the American proverb is, experience is the best teacher. Biblical wisdom says, a wise man learns by instruction. You don't have to go through a lot of what you go through. Now, some of it you do, regardless. But there are some things you don't have to go through. And if you would just listen to God and listen to the people that he has taken through some things and take it to heart instead of doing the, I'm going to do it myself mentality, you wouldn't have to go through some of those things. If we would only listen, only listen. And it's when we go through these things, it's when we really genuinely learn these things that our faith is strengthened. Verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And what happened? He slapped them around and he said, you should have listened to me sooner. No, he didn't do that. I'm always blessed in John 21 when Peter and the other disciples are out fishing. And then John notices, it's the Lord on the shore. And Peter jumps in the water. He couldn't even wait for the boat to dock. And what did he find? Jesus standing there. Can you picture this? Jesus with a whip. Come here, denier. I even told you you were going to deny me. And you not only denied me once, not only twice, but three times. Now, come on. You're going to get it now. I mean, isn't that kind of what we would think? And yet, what do you find? Jesus is waiting there. And he says, come on in, boys. Peter. I made you breakfast over here on a fire that I built and uh, fish for breakfast, right? And while they're talking, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? As you know, there are different Greek words for love. Agape is the highest self-sacrificial love that you can have for anyone. Phileo is the brotherly, friendship type of love. And then there's eros. It's more of the romantic, erotic type love. And Jesus said, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you have agape love for me? Now, what, what's Peter going to say? It's only been a matter of days that he denied the Lord before a servant girl. What's he going to say? It's only been a matter of days when Peter said, I won't deny you, I'll die before I... What's he going to say? And so he softens it. Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, I love you like a brother. And he uses the word phileo. Love you like a pal. Love you like a good friend, Lord. No wonder the Lord asked it three times. Peter, do you... Agapeo, agapeo me? And Peter said, Oh Lord, I love you like a good friend. And then the third time, the Lord changes his verbiage. And he says, Peter, do you, phileo, do you love me like a brother? And it's at that point Peter breaks, Lord, you know all things. 
and you know that I love you. And the Lord restored him, telling him, feed my lambs. And that was his commissioning to say, I'm not done with you. You've learned a great deal. You've been through the fire. You've been to the pit. You've been through all of that. You've felt the guilt. You've felt the shame. You've felt all of that. Now have breakfast. Answer the questions. And then go do what I tell you. And a few days later, Peter stands up and he preaches in Acts chapter 2. Boldly. Powerfully. Unashamedly. And 3,000 souls are saved. You want to tell me God can't use you because of your past? You need to talk to Him instead of trying to convince me. You think that God somehow has been unfair to you and unkind to you? You need to read this psalm again. And understand you need to look back on your past. And yeah, I know objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. I get that. And it still hurts and it still bothers you. But as you grow up, you find out that there was a benefit. There was a divine purpose. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distress. And it's then that we find out that God is not our last resort. He's actually our first resource. He's the one that saves. He's the one who hears. He's the one who acts. He's the one who delivers. He's the one who corrects. And he is the one who restores. Hallelujah for his restoration. He restores the years the locusts eat. He brings beauty out of ashes. That's the God that we serve. And that's why we go through all of these things. No wonder it says in Exodus 32, 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants. To whom you swore by your own self, Moses says. And said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. That's why God brought them through the captivity. He had made a promise to them. And the promise, their rebellion, and the captivity that they went through was not going to negate the promises of God. And may I say to you, your past does not negate His promises. His discipline does not negate His promises. He will do everything He has promised to do in your life because you're unfaithful, but He is a faithful God forever. Hallelujah and praise His holy name. Let that sink in and let it bless your heart tonight because when we say the trite little saying, God is good all the time and all the time God is good, we say that like, that means I ought to get a parking spot every time I want one. means I ought to have everything that I want. means all of my prayers ought to be answered. No, God is especially good to you when He loves you as you are, but He refuses to let you stay that way. He is growing you in grace and knowledge of the Lord, making your life into a blessing that it could never be had you not been through the dark times. So look back. 
But look back with the eyes of faith. And look back and see what your God has brought you through, what he has done, and understand now, child of God, as you grow, a little glimmer of why he put you through that. He loves you, and he's doing a great work in your life that only he can do. God is not finished with you yet. Praise the Lord for that. Will you bow with me, please? Lord, as we think about what this psalm has said, it kind of intrigues us. How could he say these kind of things? And why would he talk about these things that were so horrific to your people back in those days? And it's because he could look back with the eyes of faith. He could look back with the eyes of the word and the promises of God. And he saw it differently. And Lord, I pray you would allow us to do that as well in our life. To see things differently because we grow up. Because we know you better. And I pray, Lord, that we could take the battle scars of our life and use them. Use them to have credibility with a younger generation. We've been there. We've been through that. And maybe we can help them from making the same mistakes that we made. Maybe we can encourage them when they do make the same mistakes and they're battle-worn and weary and scarred and bruised and bleeding and we can come along beside them and we can help them out and help them through and be able to look at them and say, I understand, I've been there, you're going to make it. God is a faithful God. So, Lord, tonight somebody needs that word and somebody needs to hang on to the promises of God and they need to see the goodness of God tonight. Open up our eyes, open up our hearts that we might see and know that you are good. Thank you for loving us so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.